0: My name is Dr. Michaela Keegan Yadley, and I've spent the last 17 years of my career in schools as a teacher and principal. I started the Dissect Ed podcast to help you by using my strengths of connecting and relating to bring amazing guests to you each week. We will cover a wide range of topics related to all aspects of and roles in education. My goal, for you to enjoy and feel successful in your role so we keep amazing teachers and leaders in schools. Thank you for all you do. Take care and enjoy. This podcast episode is brought to you by the 3D Printing Man. Get everything from custom food bowls for your pets to chore lists for your family in more than 15 vibrant colors, all custom designed. Visit his store on Etsy by searching The 3D Printing Man, all one word. Again, that's The 3D Printing Man on Etsy and get 10% off with the code DISSECTED. I am really excited because this is our 10th official full-length episode of Dissect Ed. And at this point, we have over 500 downloads of our episodes. And I couldn't be more thrilled because this resource is meant to be... resource for you. I get to have the cool conversations, but the cool conversations are meant to bring you amazing insight and just access to people and discussions and topics that we may not always have access to in our education bubble. When I first started the podcast, I really wanted to make sure that we not only heard from adults, but that we heard from kids. And we are going to start to pivot to hear from students, former students, and those who engage youth in not just our education system or schools, but also in our communities. So our first guest is Bob Hodling. He is the substance abuse director, the director of the town of East Greenwich, Rhode Island's substance abuse prevention program and drug program. I met him when I was 13 years old when he was running, it wasn't D.A.R.E., it was called Drug Busters at our middle school, and he was running that program. A lot of my friends had joined it, and I met him there, and I joined the group in high school, and I never looked back. Bob is a master at cultivating youth voice and engaging youth in real change. Actually, enabling them to become the leaders of real change. So I talked to Bob today about the importance of that, why he does it, what he's learned from working with youth, some of the most important lessons he's got from that, and advice for adults who understand that they need to uh, do better at including youth and students in the actual school system and in their communities. So for those of you who know Bob, I know you can't wait to listen to this episode. For those of you who don't know him, you're in for a real treat. So let's get right to it. Why youth are needed so much in everything that we do and why and why we have to intentionally cultivate that in them and how we do that and then how we all benefit from that and how the kids benefit from it. Because I don't think we really talked. We definitely haven't talked about that in the past couple of years since covid So I feel like that's really – it was missing before that, and now it's, like, wiped out because kids lost their opportunities to, you know, do community service or be part of their youth groups or even camps. Like, there's so much that was impacted that um, I think we need to to bring it back, and we have an opportunity to bring it back in a really intentional way. So I think I just – I want your take on it as far as why – Over, you know, 40 years, you've been bringing youth into the forefront of every meaningful thing that's happened at a community level.
1: Yeah, well, first of all, thank you for having me on. And, uh, you know, I've been looking forward to this. (laughs) Yeah, one of the things I tell people all the time that I might have the best job on the planet Earth. I've been the director of the East Greenwich Drug Program for 38 years, and a significant portion of that has been spent working with young people. So on a selfish level, I get an opportunity to feel that incredible energy, that incredible creativity. But on top of that, that vulnerability and that willingness and that desire to be part of a community and and to learn but also participate with that community to make the uh, community better. I've always thought that in terms of education and a lot of programs, education happened to kids as opposed to education being something that young people were participants with. for years, going all the way back to Horace Mann or all the way back to the rudiments of education, traditional education has had a teacher up front um, disseminating information. Mm-hmm. The student regurgitates it back. And there's been some efficacy to that. And there's been a modicum of success. And, you know, so it's been a model called, model that's replicated replicated itself for years and years and years. But I think that in recent years, uh, a lot of the educational theorists are beginning to look at, and not only just in terms of academics, but in terms of youth leadership, participants in the community, is changing some of those models that are more participatory. You know, you can see the slight evolution of it now where they've instituted the senior project and they've instituted a connection to the community as part of the educational process where kids now, young learners, are being viewed more so as participants in the process as opposed to education happening to them. And so for me, to answer your question on a selfish level, Wow. What a tremendously exciting thing to be part of, to be challenged by the kids, even the kids that drop out of the system. Many times they're doing so because they don't feel that there's something there for them and to find ways to connect, find ways to make learning relevant, find ways to build, you know, partnerships. And I think that one thing that I've done, and I've been very lucky to To do is I've learned as much from the kids as they've ever learned from me, and uh, you know. So I think one of the things that have allowed me to keep going for a while is that I view kids as resources, participants, uh, the future, and co-workers. And eventually, you know, you know, go from being young with them where they're your friendly but later on to actually develop friendships with. So, you know, for all of those reasons, I think it's really important that we look at young people, young learners as active participants in the process.
0: If I had to ask you, I, you don't you didn't get questions ahead of time, and we're just, uh, we're going back and forth here the way we usually do. If you had to, so you might not have the exact answer, but if I had to ask you in your top three biggest lessons you've learned from a kid, from a youth, one of them, does anything stick out to you?
1: Wow. There are so many. There are so many instances where I've seen goodness emanate from young learners who had, who came from very difficult situations where parents um, were struggling, where there was some substance misuse in the home. And I'll never forget this nine and 10 year old boy that when we first started the Teen Center would tell me that that Friday night was the most important thing in his life and he couldn't wait for it because it would get him through the week. But the thing that was most inspirational for me was that he wanted everybody else to benefit from it too. So he would spread it all around the town. He would make sure that his brothers and sisters came. He would make sure that other kids in the community would come and so when I would show up to the teen center on a Friday night, there'd be 30 kids waiting at the door all because of the power of this kid's imagination, his willingness to participate. Now, this particular individual now is in his 40s. He's going on to get an MSW. He still continues to come back and volunteer at, at the teen center. And it always amazed me, considering some of the challenges that he would face when he went back home. That he still had that sense of wonder, that sense of awe, that sense of goodness that allowed him to, to see through some of those challenges, to believe in believing. And I think the lesson that he, came, that I learned from that and not just about goodness and resilience, I, it just restored my faith in people who have challenges. And it restored my faith in possibility that people who could even be in some of the most desperate situations that some people might even write them off cannot be written off because you never know what, what's going on in that person's soul. So things like that always reminded me of how precious that person is in front of you the potentiality the dreams and the hopes that they have and given the slightest little opportunity or a little crack how far they can so basically that particular incident i keep on going back to just to reinforce the fact that anything's possible possibility yeah. exists
0: and you said that was probably 30 years ago and i bet you've had that lesson given to you over and over and over and over again every year until now yes yes we're we're lucky that we get to that we get to we get to live that
1: yeah it's amazing and and i see it every day like like i've got kids right now that i'm working with on senior project and you know to some extent when you're overwhelmed and there's a perfunctory nature to it. Like, I've got to do this. Mm-hmm. I've got to get this off, off of my table. And then you see people who really take it. There was a student last year named Lindsay who started off in all kinds of like, oh my God, this is COVID. I can't find anybody. Can you please help me graduate? And what this person did would exceeded the norm and went so far into in depth on it and again we hear so much about the trials and tribulations of kids but uh, you know let's 99.999 percent of kids want to be successful and be connected in their community i see just the opposite i i see some challenges you know i can't i don't want to minimize vaping marijuana use Mm -hmm. substance use disorder but at core in the overwhelming majority Even the kids who struggle, I see tremendous goodness and kids who want to succeed. And I think that that is something that I've seen ever since I get in—people who really want to make a contribution.
0: What's the? I should—I'm not going to say the biggest. What are some of the ways that you've seen youth actually? drive change in their community and in their school
1: i have seen i have seen that happen <laughs> so many times all the way back to like when you were in school <laughs> and you were che- helping to change some of the legislation about some of the drinking laws and with gabia body mm-hmm. um starting programs and advocating for programs like youth to youth and creating many conferences and opportunities for kids to stay connected i have seen so many opportunities where a young student by the name of selena who as this tiny little seventh grader got involved we were doing we were having a big battle in east greenwich where we were trying to make some legislation that was going to curtail um some of the smoking in restaurants and one year just
0: for context what this is like 1990 what 798 Late in the
1: 90s. Mm -hmm. We were way out on a limb, way out ahead of everybody. There were communities that were waiting to see what we did, what we did. And there was a lot of pushback. The business community were afraid that they were going to lose business. There were some legislators who were concerned that we were being over zealous. And some of these meetings got very, very, very contentious. It got in through, you know, debates. It got into elections. And this young lady, Selena, who got involved with a club that we had at the time. Um, I don't know if it was Drug Busters at the time or if it was co-leader at the time. Drugbusters, I think. It was Drug Busters. And I think that she was just somebody that was spunky, somebody who was very intelligent, And somebody had this real tremendous desire to make a difference and connect with other kids. And as a seventh grader, she went to a number of these meetings and stood up in front of audiences at, like, the Swift Gym that had hundreds of people and testified uh, about the dangers of secondhand smoke, how it was impacting young people, how young people didn't have any choice, and we ended up passing that legislation, and this young lady, Selena, and some of her peers played a significant role in that. There are other instances, even current now, uh, at the end of last um, academic year, um, a number of students were involved uh, creating an event for the LGBTQ community, Uh, where they did a big community festival and a a concert and a big advocacy thing where they had a number of booths and educational booths and turned it into a major celebration. And again, this was something that was driven. Again, I might help out with a little bit of money, set up some parameters and give people opportunity, but it was the kids who drove the bus, It was the kids who advocated, the kids that promoted, the kids who created the program. So I've seen advocacy for uh, smoking. I've seen advocacy for LGBTQ community. I've seen people advocate for alcohol. I've seen people, I've seen young people make significant and it takes a lot of guts. You figure you're talking about middle school kids and high school kids, kids talking in front of school committees, legislatures. There's another young lady, Abby, who advocated for the chorus and advocated when our one of our libraries was shot down. And this is just a very quiet young lady. And she got up in front of and she, the other thing, not only did she do it herself, she was able to rally other people <laughs> to her cause. And to me, those things are incredibly inspiring. There's a young lady right now, the Esme, who's going to be doing her senior project. The, these names are just rolling off my list. Miguel, um, a Sunny. The, uh, I, these names come to me about people who have really changed the system and sometimes spoke truth to power.
0: So, I mean, you and I, I've, I've seen it, too. And, um, you know, obviously, there's a reason why. I wanted to talk to you, and I wanted to make sure that more, a larger audience has access to this conversation. Because I think to you and me, it's it's just a no brainer for all the reasons you've mentioned. That it's, I mean, it's great to be around kids. We learn so much from them. They're fun. They're funny. They can't kind of keep us young, and then also the incredible power that they have. um, And sometimes this fearlessness and this. it's not innocence. It's just this, this fearlessness and what they, this conviction and what they think, what they believe in, and what they are willing to do, and in, in the situations they're willing to put themselves in, to, like you said, speak truth to power. And I'm, I'm wondering from your perspective, because we both know the success that they have had in these major arenas in front of, you know, the lobbyists for the tobacco industry and the alcohol industry. That's a lot of money there, and a lot of pretty powerful people. Why do youth seem to be so successful in getting change to happen? And would you say that sometimes they're actually more successful in enacting change or in moving that needle than than adults are?
1: Yeah, in many ways, I, I do think that they're more successful and i think there's a, a number of a number of reasons i go you know once systems and you know people get paid for being part of systems or pe- once people write books or once people like no we always talk to the kids about peer pressure but once our jobs are on the line belonging adopting to a certain philosophy there are statewide standards There's a lot of compliance going on, but the adults are up in the room up on Mount Olympus making these decisions without fully always understanding how it's directly impacting the kids. And I used to tell people all the time, there was many, many years ago on TV, there was a guy that was very famous for his work in oceanography, Jacques Cousteau. And I used to tell people all the time, I go, I I always felt like I'm Jacques Cousteau in a mental health way because there's a whole world in the ocean. I can be on my boat and I can jump into the ocean, but I have to wear a mask and I have to have a tank and I can see the whales. I can see the sharks. I can see the beautiful coral reefs. I know that there's a world within a world, but I know at the end of the day, I have to go back to where I came from. I can protect it. I can cherish it. I can try to understand it. But there's a culture that exceeds my knowledge. There's a culture that it, that exists even without me. And I think that it's my job to protect it, to bring greater understanding of it, and to acknowledge that there's another world. And I think sometimes we, the adults, don't respect like there are kids talking right now on cell phones or meeting in places or listening to music and that there's a culture that's sometimes below our level to understand. And I think that we try to impose ourselves too much on it. And I think that when you listen to kids, you find out they are the recipients of the rules and the programs that you create. You've got to listen to how it's impacting them. And the one sometimes that challenge you or the recalcitrants that that push you to the limits and everything, if you're a good educator or you really care about those kids, you're gonna listen to them you're gonna they're they're telling you something, and they're probably giving you the most honest appraisal of what they're receiving and what you're offering to them, and we spend more time patting ourselves on the back or or listening to an ed- educational theory, which is wonderful and nice and all of that and not as much time on watching and listening to what the kids are actually experiencing and telling us.
0: Yeah, and what what an important time to to do that because we we kind of don't know right over the past year, year and a half really, what their experience has been. There's been such a a disconnect, for lack of a better word.
1: Yeah. And sometimes we think we're supposed to know because we're the adults. So we're supposed to know how many times I can't begin to tell you how many times as a father I've got this responsibility of knowing, mm-hmm. but I'm going to bed every night talking to my wife going, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. <laughs> I'm trying to do the best I can. I hope I'm going to make a good call. So when you're an administrator, you're a principal and you're being governed by test scores and mandates and your school's being evaluated, and parents yeah. calling you up, there's a lot of pressure to know and in that pressure, sometimes you're you're not going to listen. You're gonna you're gonna spend more time either protecting or complying, and it, and it's a risk listening to the kids. It, it's not really a risk, but from, right. if you think it is, it's like oh, they're it's just like- the kids, and they don't like anything, and they always want to change, and they're always going to be rebellious, and all of that stuff. And I think that. When you adopt that kind of attitude, you're missing really unique opportunities to uh, to have some zest. You know, obviously, the kids don't have all the facts, and they might need a little bit of guidance and all of that. But all in all, they have a pretty good read on what the heck's happening in a school.
0: Yeah, and I think, you know, if we're talking about, so I mean, kids have an impact everywhere in their communities, in their families, in their um, social groups and then in their schools. And I think I did not realize because I grew up where you were, where you were. So we, we were always involved in lots of things. There were opportunities outside of school, inside of school, and we could kind of take it as far as we wanted to take it. You could be as involved as you wanted to be, or you could or just as involved as you wanted to be. You want, If you wanted to show up and do one community service event, or you wanted to run the club, you still could, you were still able to put on your resume for college that you were in the interact club, for example, or if you wanted to go to maybe one walkathon, or you wanted to plan a mini conference, you could still say, I was a part of youth to youth, because there were no, um, we, because we wanted, we wanted our peers, and also we, and then later we wanted kids to be involved. So we didn't need to create a hierarchy or, um, distinction between who was involved. So we, it's hard for me. To, it's always been hard for me to imagine where student voice wouldn't play a role, but I will say that I've been surprised at the limited role student voice has played in schools, especially Well, I mean, I can't even speak for elementary schools, but I, whenever, I'm, I'm usually called in as like the when there's a culture issue, I found, I think my, my niche and when people seek me out, maybe to be a principal is adult culture and youth culture. So it's just, it's school culture. And I realized that later on, not, they didn't usually tell me that's why I was coming in, but I realized that anytime I was brought into a school, that was probably where the, one of the biggest issues and challenges um, existed. And that every time, there was almost zero youth voice or it was a very segmented student population that the voice where the voices were being heard. And so not everybody really was represented in the voice that was being, um, I guess, solicited or the feedback that was being solicited. So all of that is to say that, that I think there are probably a lot of schools out there where student voice isn't prominent. And I'm wondering if you have any insight or tips, because I know that you work, you, you uh, collaborate with lots of people from around the country. And I'm sure you've gotten this question a lot. How do I, as a teacher, how do I, as a principal, incorporate more student voice into our school? Say somebody doesn't have the background I had with you as a mentor. What might you tell them to do?
1: Yeah, well, I like, you know, and in, in, I don't want to say it's easy, but first of it all... Is a, <laughs> first it is easy. It is, but... The very, the very fact that you're a teacher indicates that in the vast majority of cases, there's a desire to connect with other people. Yeah. And there might be pressures that come by in terms of curricular and whatnot, but you're going into it with... A, lot, a tremendous skill set. First of all, one is willingness, mm-hmm. which is huge, and you know. And then the second, the second one is whenever a teacher walks into that classroom, no matter what curricular and what standards and what rubrics are going on, who you are is at least equally important as to what you know and what you do. You um, there's a manifestation of how. You connect with kids, how you respect the other students in that room, how you create a sense of belonging, how you encourage different opinions. So you might not know it, but you are creating the seeds of future involvement by doing that. If you greet somebody at the door, if you say, I like that answer. If you end up doing an after-school club that extends that relationship with a student or you end up extending and you're coaching a team, or even if you're sticking around and you have after-school hours, Mm -hmm. you've now gone from, quote-unquote, just a teacher to a, a human being. You're bringing in trust. You're cultivating accessibility when kids believe they belong and there are people in their lives who care about them, when adults feel they belong and they feel self-actualized, now what's happening is they become participants in the process. And once they become participants in the process and stakeholders, that's when they're going to be more inclined to join a club of somebody that they know or they believe that you've instilled a sense of hope to them and there's going to be a mental health club or a youth to youth club where they're going to expand upon the boundaries of their friendships and venture out to other schools and other communities yeah so i think the rudiments of that occur like the soul of any school really are the teacher-student relationships and the trust and the magic that occurs within that when you cultivate that yeah then all the things are an extrapolation of that so now you create your clubs now you create those small little venues or some or an event after school and when kids are part of that and they see that you pulled them off and the community showed up and even if only eight parents show up, there's an empowerment we did this we created this. This happened. Other kids showed up. And though then after that, exponentially, things grow from that. Because I know what happens is if you have a program, you've been around 38 years. Oh, I'll never be able to do this. And I'll never, Hey, we all had our first year. Right. We all walked in and said, how the hell am I going to do this? We all said, Oh my God, the kids won't even talk. And you, and, but when you build on those rudiments, the relationships, the respect, the accessibility, the reaching out and expanding the horizons, then eventually they build, and in some instances, the kids will grow it for you.
0: They will. They'll
1: challenge challenge you to do more. (laughs) Eventually it'll flip, and they'll ask you, how come we can't do this?
0: Yeah. I mean, I think think what you just said is really that is the – the recipe, if you will, it's really, you, you really just need a, uh, kids and an adult because yeah. like you said, a lot of the, um, like as a principal, right? I couldn't start a bunch of clubs by myself. I could barely make it to, I made it a mission in my last year as principal to have a youth to youth, actually youth, youth program. And I needed to be the advisor. And the big joke in the building was the afternoon announcement that would say youth to youth is canceled today. We'll meet tomorrow because I would get pulled after that <laughs> dismissal to something that was happening because I was the principal. Um, but I was determined because that gave me like that fed my soul. And also the kids really enjoyed the club. And so it, it just became the joke that youth to youth is canceled. Sometimes I'd have them meet in the cafeteria and then I would check in on them, but you know, that's one club that doesn't make entire student population that's, you know, engaged and has a voice and feels like they have this, like, like you said, they're stakeholders because there are kids with so many different um, interests. And I think the things that you were saying, like, I was thinking as you were talking about, like, what might a principal need to hear if they've been told you need more, like your student culture is lacking, right? Or you have it, there's a negative student culture or student culture needs to improve what could they do almost immediately? And what I was just kept thinking about was you, you bring them into your, you bring them in or you go to them and just say, Hey, I'd like to have some focus groups. The only rule is that every, we can have 10 people a group, right? We're going to have three of them. So I can't hear from every single student in the school, but I need to make sure that every single voice is represented. So you know, I have the five of you here. Your job is to go out and find three more people who three people who are all different, who you think are reflective of your classmates and and everybody that you know and don't know. And they'll just bring the kids right to you. And then you can just ask them name three things that we should keep doing as a school, three things that we should stop doing and three things that we should start doing. And you will literally have probably the solution to all the issues in your school, but also you'll have kids that feel like they were asked. And then the, the really important thing though, is that you have to pick at least one thing and act on it immediately, or else they're going to feel like they weren't like you just asked them and then didn't, didn't do anything about it. And that's actually worse than asking them in the first place. Like if if not asking them. So if you're, if you're not prepared to act on one thing immediately then don't ask them at all. Because if, they, if the worst thing you can do is ask them for their input, they give you a bunch of input and then they see nothing happen, that will kill the relationship.
1: You bring up so many good points because let's face it, when you're a teacher or when you're a principal, you want to believe that you're doing a good job. Mm-hmm. And it's very easy if somebody comes up to the principal and says, hey, by the way, we have a vaping problem in the bathroom. (laughs) Or by the way, we don't have that much. We have a diversity issue. Mm -hmm. Our curriculum hasn't expanded to a point where we're looking at women's issues. And when you hear that, is that, yeah, well, yes, we do. Yes, we do. Don't Mm -hmm. we don't? It comes across as, as a criticism. And I think all too often people don't realize is that, they're coming to you because they do trust you or they're coming to you because they com- they want to learn more. It's not that they want to learn less. They're actually challenging you to do more. And I think when schools, when they begin to recognize that they have substance abuse problems, rather than being bad, they're getting closer to healthy. Right. When schools add to their curricula, uh, to women's issues, uh, LGBTQ issues, uh, race issues... There, the kids are actually a barometer who are leading you towards greater success. And I think that, uh, you know, again, I think we all get caught up with our degrees and our responsibilities or interpreting that we're less than when, when you're encountering, when you're encountering that information. And when you were, when you spoke a little bit earlier about, you know, kids wanting to have opportunities to be empowered and heard, but then not acting on it when you truncate that voice right up front. Well, that's not true. We did this and that. Not true. We did it four years ago and it never worked. Or that's not true. Look at it, page 14. There's a paragraph about Tecumseh. So we do talk about <laughs> the people. You're not listening. Right. And I think that what, what ends up happening is, we have to go a little bit more from looking at schools from as a, you know, an organization to more like an organism, because for years it was run with that flow shot mm-hmm. the superintendent, the assistant superintendent, all the principals, department heads, and that. And then you get the little fish swimming out in Jacques Cousteau world as opposed to creating a system that there's more interplay to it. And there's more, and when you do that again, you're elevating the stakeholders down as participants of it. And I think that that's something that we still have a little bit of work to do to change even structure because we still go back to that Horace Mann model. Oh, I think bit. we have,
0: I think we have more than a little work to do. We have a yeah. lot of work to do. And I think, you know, where this is going after this episode is I will be having youth. I call them youth. They're actually adults because just with, um, you know, parent permissions and having, you know, minors on a podcast, I, I don't want to put anybody in a a tough position. However, you know, recent high school graduates who have, um, been in the school system very recently will definitely be on the podcast. And, you know, even for somebody like me who, I fundamentally believe in youth, uh, and not just involvement, but like in youth leading and guiding. I had students help plan our not not just our school lunches, but like actually drive the schedule in my high school five years ago. They actually were part of the scheduling process, so that the schedule reflected. They demanded you know more challenging courses. Uh, they demanded a rotating, and I say demanded, we worked together, but they had very specific um, goals for the schedule and outcomes they wanted to see. And so we worked on a lot of these things together, restorative practices. I mean, the kids brought this to me and said, hey, this is what we want. We want to work with you on it, but this is what, this is what the students are asking for. So even as somebody who has actually practiced that and done that with kids, I bet you I'll be humbled by having some kids that either were in my my students or I had when I was a principal tell me that my school wasn't perfect and that my school wasn't perfect for them, or we were missing certain things or we weren't addressing certain needs. I'm sure I'll be humbled when I have them on because they'll always give it to you straight and they'll tell you what you need to hear versus what you want to hear a lot of the time when you ask them in the right way and when they feel safe to do so, that they're not going to hurt your feelings, that they can just, you know, that their feedback hasn't been taken in the past. And they know that, you know, what they have to say is important and they know they're helping you by saying it. They'll say what they need to say. So that's what everybody can look forward to is hearing me maybe put through the ringer a little bit. But also hearing from a kid like or from a youth, former students, what it was about their school that they needed to keep, change and add, I think is what people will really hear uh, when we do have youth on
1: the podcast. Go ahead. No, Again, you bring it whether you like it or not. It, you're talking about relationships, yeah. You know, and again, I'm not. There are different kinds of relationship, but if somebody's in your classroom for 180 days or of a year, and you're seeing them in, in the hallways, you're you're engaging them as a mentor, or you're seeing them, you know, in a multiple series of successes and explorations, there's a relationship. Mm-hmm. And healthy relationships have cooperation. If it's top dog, bottom dog all the time, and you've got you know a power dynamic versus the person who's supposed to respond to that power dy- dynamic, and there's not genuine opportunity for transference of experience and knowledge and everything. Uh, who wants to be in a relationship where you're constantly, your opinion is not valued or perpetually evaluated or cha- in, in not viewed as whole and real for what it is. And I think what, another thing, kids are experts at one thing that adults will never be experts on. Kids are experts at being kids. No matter how many times I hop in that water and pretend I'm a fish, I am still subject to the air in my tank and the world that I live in. And I have to acknowledge that the kids are experts of their world and they are experts to how they feel in their world. And what we can learn from them is acknowledging that they are experts in their world.
0: Yeah. I mean, and it isn't that who we serve, right? So um, Bob, thank you so much for being on. I have a feeling that this is not the last time everybody's going to be hearing from you because as I said, it was always at the forefront in the mission of uh, my podcast to make sure that we were bringing the student voice and youth perspective to the forefront of everything that we do, because If we didn't, we'd be missing it. We'd be missing the people that we need to hear from as we talk about education. So thank you so much for everything that you do for your community, the schools that you've done for me, and uh, thank you in advance for visiting us again on the podcast soon.
1: Well, thank you. This this is a blast, and I just want to thank you for all the work you do, and I and I think it's it's wonderful that. You know, you're reaching out, you're listening to young people, you're bringing in ideas to your community from other people who have experienced some ups and downs and had, you know, tested uh, certain things and made it applicable to themselves. So I think it's, it's awesome that you're doing this, but I just think that when I reflect back on you when you were a young person, <laughs> you always, had that capacity. You always had a unique talent for bringing people together. So I'm not surprised that you're doing this and I'm not surprised that you're successful.
0: (laughs) That's like the biggest compliment. Thank you. Wow. I cannot tell you what an honor it was to have Bob as an official guest on the podcast. I guess I can tell you, but I really can't convey it. Um, he's been somebody I've looked up to a mentor for the past 25 years, more than that. And he's really responsible for probably everything I'm doing now in my life, uh, all the leadership opportunities, the ways that he had us leading true change, uh, impacting policy at the school level, at the community level, at the state level as teenagers and young adults. And, he has allowed a lot of people to do the same because we see what was possible for us and we want to make that same, um, the same opportunities possible for other youth. So I encourage you to stay tuned. Um, we will have a student on next week's episode. I'm really, really excited. She's actually been through the Youth to Youth program and then we'll have various students on as we move through our podcasting journey. I know that as our main customers as those we serve. And like Bob said, kids are the experts at being kids, right? Youth are the experts at the youth experience. And we need to listen to them and wow, how much we can learn from them. So until next time, I hope you have an incredible week. And I look forward to bringing you a student voice next week. Take care.